Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm up. And as promised, over the course of several weeks, I've been working on this, trying to get schedules to sync up. And I do have a special guest on the warm up this weekend. And you probably know him pretty well. His voice you will definitely recognize. Jake Fenner. Jake, how's it going? I'm glad to have you on. I'm glad to be on, Chuck. Uh, so I know it's been a while. It's been it's been a little bit uh, for since I've been on one of these. And that's really just because I, uh, I took a new job. So since our, the last time I was on, which I think was during Euro's coverage, since then I accepted a new job in New York City. And so ever since the last week of June of of July, really, uh, I've been trying to get my life set up in New York. Uh, now I can say that it's relatively, uh, at that point and yeah, now I'm, now I'm back and now, uh, better than ever, I guess. Yeah. When we're, we're glad to have you, we will take any, any Jake that we can get on any of the podcasts or any of the blog posts. So we're, we're happy to have you anytime that you can give us. So, Let's get to it, Jake. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. We both have a real strong passion when it comes to watching Germany and seeing how things have evolved over the past couple of years. Uh, And, you know, we've both talked about it already pretty extensively, but what were your first impressions of the Hansi Flick era and how just overall, how do you think things looked as Germany played those first three games? I think that everything that Hansi Flick does with this team, especially in this World Cup qualifying group, needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And here's why I say that. This is a very, very, very easy group to have to get through in order to qualify for a World Cup. There are not many teams that Germany can stumble on and that, and I mean that even though they stumbled against North Macedonia, but that was uh, with a different coach and that was at a different time in the setup for the national team. And now with a new manager, I think that what we saw was not necessarily even confirmation that they made the right choice but it was a sign that they took the right step forward, especially in that 6 nothing win against uh, Armenia, which they were top the group. I believe they might still be atop the group, but even still, they came out, they battered them 6 nothing, and the team looked pretty good. And for what you saw out of that team, which was a lot of Bayern players, which which helps when it comes to the fact that the former coach was the head coach of Bayern Munich or the current Germany coach is the former head coach of Bayern Munich is it's incredibly helpful in terms of adjusting and trying to make pieces fit so I think it'll take some time for us to really see what Hansi has up his sleeve. And unfortunately for him, I'm, I'm going to be a bit disingenuous to a lot, a lot of the teams that Germany has to face in this group. Uh, the first time he plays any like real legitimately tough competition is going to be in a world cup. And that's never good for a manager, that kind of trial by fire situation. But if I know Hansi Flick to do anything, it's handling trials by fire pretty well. 
Yeah. Now, Jake, I'm a little more optimistic than you and a lot less cautious with this. I, I, I understand the, the argument that a lot of people have made that this is basically just a, a really weak group. And we obviously saw that the teams over the past week and a half were, were not quite up to par. And there's no way anyone could deny that. I think what, what I came away with was that this team just looked and felt completely different. And it might not even come across that way on the stat sheet, despite the huge goal differential after the week, but just how they looked on the pitch and, and the attacking style that they used and just overall the energy, it was so much different than the lack lackadaisical kind of effort, effort that we got used to seeing under Yogi Love. And for me, that's what I wanted to see. And I was really less concerned about the score lines in the games as much as how Germany looked. And I have to be honest, I came away so impressed with not just the way that the team played offensively, but how they controlled the midfield, how steady they were defensively. And that was even with uh, Hansi Flick experimenting with a couple of players in different positions. I mean, we saw Jonas Hoffman play right back, which could come into play for Bayern Munich in the future. Uh, we saw Tilo Kerr basically used all over the back line. And I've been a big doubter of, of, of Kerr, but he, he did well. And, you know, even players like Antonio Rudiger, who has been a roller coaster for Germany over the years, he had a very steady and solid performance. And again, I'll, I'll totally acknowledge that, that these teams weren't great, but the energy level, the attacking presence that Germany had and the overall confidence I felt like they played with really won me over. Yeah, they won me over too. I think the back line is something that is really going to evolve, not necessarily between now and the World Cup, but definitely between now and the next time Germany is going to be qualifying for a major European competition, because at that point you see people like Mats Hummels fully aging out and not even being in consideration, not even an iota of a thought for the national team, which is going to have to inspire some people to do some really heavy thinking and some really heavy head scratching. I was impressed by Tilo Kerr. I thought that he did a great job. Uh, I've been a fan of his relatively while he's been at uh, PSG. And I think that he'll blossom for the future of the German national team as well. Yeah. I mean, just me personally looking at the way that the team had really to me just came together and just really implemented this new line of thinking in this, this complete energy within their own respective games. Like I, I was impressed, but you know, I, I am a Hansi Flick apologist. The job he did with Bayern Munich back in the treble winning year, which ultimately led to a sex double. Uh, I, you know, I think that was one of the best coaching performances in any sport. I, I'd put that up against anyone. What he did coming in in mid season and basically reinventing that team playing you know, players in different positions, pulling Thomas Muller off Nico Kovac's scrap heap. Uh, what Flick is able to do in working with players and getting the most out of them, I always come away impressed with. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this all evolves. And I know that you'll be right alongside me and watching all of these games uh, leading into the World Cup. And obviously, at that point, Germany will be tested. But Jake, we we saw kind of a weird uh, transfer rumor this week, and I wanted to get your take on it uh, involving Conrad Leimer from RB Leipzig. Uh, Leimer, of course, is a, is a midfielder, and he's a very good midfielder at that. 
And it, the timing of this just seemed really odd to me. And a lot of people had begun speculation that that this Limer rumor really originated in during the transfer window and that Bayern Munich uh, had reached out to him as kind of a contingency plan if the Marcel Sabitzer deal fell through. But the way I read the story was that this was recent and this wasn't anything about having a contingency plan. This was a more of a future move. And essentially the nuts and bolts of the story was uh, were that uh, Bayern Munich reached out to Limer directly and bypassed RB Leipzig, which uh, obviously did not go over well with the Leipzig brass. But with Limer, uh, to me, I read this as a as kind of a measure looking at the future. You see Quarantan Toliso has an expiring contract. Mark Roca is a player who has not established himself, and there's no guarantee that he will. And after that, after you get past Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka and Marcel Sabitzer, I mean, you're starting to look at campus talents now, of which I'm a fan of several of the midfielders Byron has on campus, but I'm very intrigued to know if Julian Nagelsmann has Limer rated so highly that he would consider bringing him in to bolster the midfield ranks. What did you think about, Jake, when you saw that rumor? Uh, I think that's a terrible rumor, <laughs> if, I'm being, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest, right? Limer to me is really somebody who sits in the middle of the pitch, who operates well in the middle of the pitch, who operates well almost as that double pivot kind of box-to-box kind of guy. That is the last thing that Bayern Munich need right now. They need a right back. They need a depth piece at center back, right? They need to sort out what they're going to do with Robert Lewandowski, not only this year, but with next year. The last thing that they need is to buy another central midfielder, let alone one that you that currently plays for a club that you just bought a midfielder from, a central midfielder. There's no need. There is absolutely no need for Conrad Limer here. And the only reason why I think that this rumor stands or has any water to it is, like you said, if Bayern didn't get Marcel Zabitzer. And now that they have Marcel Zabitzer, these rumors need to die. There is no logic behind going out and getting Conrad Limer. It seems nonsensical. And I've relatively been somebody who's been leaning on the idea that Bayern doesn't go around poaching every single one of the best players in their opposition. If they do this, I can't defend this. I can't defend that position anymore. So one of the things that that really kind of stood out when I first saw this story, well, it was actually a couple of things. One is that my immediate thought is here we go with a midfield log jam again. I remember the days of having Vidal and Tiago and Goretzka and Tolisso and Javi Martinez and so many others crammed into the midfield that young talents couldn't get on the pitch. Older talents became disgruntled about their reduced roles. And it was really tough to watch. And it was tough to watch for me because I recognized how talented all of those players were in the midfield but it was just unmanageable. And I think it put some of the Bayern Munich coaches through that time uh, in a bit of a bad spot. But the other thing that really kind of struck me is, I mean, how much of a say does Julian Nagelsmann have right now in transfer dealings? What we learned about Hansi Flick is he had a, like a, basically no voice in, in the transfer room and things that he wanted, things that he thought he needed, he could not get. But it seems like if Nagelsmann makes a request, Bayern Munich is following through on it. And there's, for me, there's no reason to discount the story. Uh, Oliver Mintzlaff, the CEO of Leipzig, 
he addressed it directly. So this is not like this is rumor. This is a rumor or it's innuendo. This is a legit story. And while I, I think I side with you on this, Jake, where I, I don't think they need Limer. In fact, like if it comes down to it, I'd rather see someone like Taylor Booth get the opportunity to step in and play a first team role. Uh, I, I'm just very curious to see if, if Nagelsmann has this big of a voice and if he's able to make things happen like this, how many of these situations are we going to see where he's going to request a player, particularly one that he has an established relationship with? And this will be relevant in a few minutes, Jake. Uh, how much say is he going to have in making that happen? What do you think you see out of that? I don't know. Knowing Nagelsmann's previous history, I guarantee that he's going to be leaning on the academies more. And if Bayern's finances are as dire as they say they are, and it's not a case of, oh, we just want to operate the club at a profit, we're really hurting for money right now, then he's not going to have a choice, right? Because a lot of Bayern's players, Bayern are not a selling club right? We know right. this, we've been known about this, right? Yeah. Like they're going to, if they sell Lewandowski, right? Say they sell Lewandowski, there's no way that they're going to be able to conjure up the fee that they could have got for him two years ago or three or four or whatever, Absolutely. right? So they're going to be selling him, not even at a loss because, you know, you got him in on a free, but you're going to be selling him for a lot less than what he could be worth, especially to the club, especially in terms of his stature in the Bundesliga. So I look around, right, in terms of players I could see Bayern selling. I could see them selling Suda. I don't think they will. If they do, that might be the only player that they will be able to sell at a good profit, right? I could see them selling him for somewhere between 40 and 50 million euro. Uh, Sané, I don't think they're going to sell him, nor Gnabry. Coman, maybe. I imagine him going in between I think the 40 and 50. I think Coman is on his way out the door. The emergence of Jamal Musiala and what looks to be uh, in, in improved form from Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, I think it's just going to make Coman expendable. But that's just my opinion. I think that Bayern doesn't want the headache of dealing with all of his injuries and his you know top dollar contract number yeah. request. Yeah, I'd pump the brakes on Sané for now because it's not like he hasn't been good these last couple of games, right? But that's all it is. He's been good. He's been super good for Bayern. He's been the Leroy Zane that we paid for, right? Over Just over these last couple of games. I think he has it in him to keep it up for the rest of the year. And I hope that he does. And if that's the case, and if Musiala really solidifies himself as a winger, as opposed to a central attacking midfielder, then yeah, I could see Coman as surplus. The only question is what clubs out there are going to want him what clubs yeah. out there are going to take him. I don't really see the market for left-wingers really skyrocketing anytime soon. And especially in terms of like the top six, right? The big, like, or like the top, I would say top clubs in Europe, right? Barcelona don't need a left-winger. They have Ansu Fati. Uh, I guess maybe Juve could use him, right? Chelsea don't need him. They have Pulisic. Uh, Man United don't need him. They have uh, Anthony Martial. Man City don't need him. They got Phil Foden. And Arsenal don't need them because he, they need to restructure their entire team. But, you know, the clubs that would, would be up there to try and buy him are pretty full. 
right? At that point, you're just buying for surplus, right? I could see PSG going in for him, right? But absolutely, yeah, no doubt. They're going to tell me that they're going to start Kingsley Coman over a healthy Neymar, and I emphasize the word healthy Neymar. Uh, I don't think they do. I don't. I don't think they do. And at that point, you're really just buying for the sake of depth and buying. So I think out of everybody that commands a big transfer fee, he will be the first to go. Yeah. And I don't think that he will get, he will bring back some enormous fee. Like I'm thinking he is a 50 to 60 million euro player, even though his true value may be worth more than that. Like you talked about the market, I'm not sure is there, but Jake, some of those power clubs are just stockpiling talent at this point. And this will lead me right to the next point, which I know you and I are going to not agree on at all. Uh, Kingsley Coman is, is a good example of a player that if he went to say a club like Chelsea, who he's been linked to would just be yet another forward in a depth chart stock pack filled, whatever with forwards. Uh, and, and Chelsea is, like I said, one of those teams that has been linked to Coman. But interestingly, we saw some news this morning that Timo Werner has changed agents. And with that, he has changed to the agency that represents Dio Upamakano and Julian Nagelsmann, along with Nicholas Sula. So the rampant speculation has already begun, uh, thanks to Sport One's Florian Plettenberg, that Julian Nagelsmann is putting in a request for Timo Werner. And the plans are that should Bayern feel that Lewandowski will definitely move on after his contract expires in 2023, that Nagelsmann wants to bring Werner to Bayern Munich and make him a part of the squad. Now, Jake, I know very strongly, I, I, I know that you feel very strongly about Timo Werner, and you know that I have some Timo Werner feelings as well. When you saw this news, what what did you think immediately? And this is why I brought up the, the Nagelsmann point. It seems like he's got some saying. If he's got this much mm. pool, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to make this Werner move happen. I think when I've been critical about Timo Werner in the past, what gets lost among the criticism is the fact that I like him as a player and I hope he does well. Uh, I just haven't seen that out of him right <laughs> it's been a bit annoying watching Timo Werner and hoping that he does well uh, because he hasn't I'll put this very plainly the only way I see Bayern Munich getting Timo Werner is if they cannot get Erling Haaland in this next transfer window that is the only way and only reason why I would see them going for Timo. And to that point, I don't necessarily know if Timo is the striker that best fits Bayern's system, right? Because it's not like everything that Lewandowski does is headers, but with the amount of crosses that Bayern Munich lob into the middle, you could be forgiven for thinking that that is all they do or one-timed volleys or touched volleys, right? Those are a lot of Robert Lewandowski's goals when he's not poaching, right? So I think to myself, how has Timo Werner done when it's come to poaching, (laughs) when it's come to headers and when it's come to crosses? And I would just tell anybody to watch five random games from Chelsea's season last year to prove that, no, that is not the kind of striker that fits Bayern's system now. 
that's not to say that that can't be adjusted later on, but if Bayern wants to keep their system currently, their style of play currently, you would go out and get Erling Haaland. You would go out and get somebody almost along the lines of Andre Silva, but not exactly Andre Silva. Basically what I'm saying is that Timo's a great striker and I think that he would do well at Bayern with the right pieces around him. But I don't see Bayern going after him outright if they can get Holland first. Now, if it comes to next season, right, and they have Holland, and then at the end of the season, Thomas Muller gives a shock announcement that he's retiring and they sell Marcel Zabitzer, maybe, right? You would you could easily slot Timo Werner in at like a number like 10, like almost a false nine, not exactly a Ram Deuter role, but a more advanced midfielder. I think that's a comfortable place to put him. But as an out-and-out striker in the current system that Bayern has, I don't see it at all. Yeah, and this is where it gets really interesting for me because you know, obviously I would say that Holland has to be the number one target on the transfer market for any huge club. He is the next generation Lewandowski. He will be the player that carries the European game through for the next decade with his ability to score. But where it really kind of made me start to think was, we don't really know what Bayern Munich's going to look like under Julian Nagelsmann. What we know right now is he's taken this existing roster. He's using the formula that has proven to be successful with a 4-2-3-1 formation. We also know that Nagelsmann prefers a back three. We also know that he will experiment with a 3-4-1-2 or 3-4-2-1. And in that kind of system, Jake, it makes me say, why not both? Why not both Holland and Werner? So we'll see what happens with that. This will definitely be something that we see evolve over the course of the weeks and months. And I'm sure we'll get a lot more uh, inputs and stories on this subject. But for me, uh, you know, like I said, I would go with Holland first, but if Werner, the opportunity comes to get Werner and, you know, I'm a fan of his, I would say Byron should go for it because I do think at some point we're going to get the reality of this Robert Lewandowski situation that he's either going to want to extend for a longer period than Bayern Munich is comfortable for, or he's going to just want to out and out leave because he wants a new challenge. And either way mm -hmm. is fine. I mean, he's done his time and he has been a spectacular player, but I'm very, very intrigued by the strategic direction and vision that Julian Nagelsmann has for this roster and how things uh, might look in two to three years from now. Uh, but Jake, the final topic we'll hit on is something I know you've, you've really done a lot of research into, and it's really basically these next two games for Bayern Munich, what they mean and what kind of stretch this is. Obviously, it's difficult. Our Bay Leipzig is a tough match within the league, and then Bayern will immediately take its tired legs from all of the international players and play FC Barcelona, who, while not the Barcelona of past years, still should present a problem for the Bavarians. What do you see with these two games, Jake? How do you think they're going to shake out? And you know, how do you think Bayern's going to be able to adjust to having such tired legs at this stage of the season and then having two important games like this, essentially back-to-back? -back? I'll just put it this way. I'm not afraid of Leipzig. I'm not afraid of Barcelona. I'm afraid of them back-to-back. -back. And I think that might be uh, the best way to put it. I think Barcelona have a lot of work to do still. Uh, I think they've had some positive results in La Liga, but 
at the end of the day, it's still an aging core. It's still an attack that needs to find out what they want to be soon. It's a team that seems to be rife with animosity towards the manager, and that's never good. Uh, so that's on that side. For Leipzig, I think it's tough for Leipzig. They have a tough situation, of course. They're going through a new manager, right? Like I mentioned in the in the preview show that I did yesterday with Schnitzel, um, they have a, ch- a lot of changes on the back line to the point where their third choice center back from last year is now their starting center back. Uh, we haven't seen Lucas Klosterman uh, really playing much this season. Uh, they have a brand new attacker, which is fantastic, and Andre Silva, but they don't necessarily have the depth in the midfield to build that up. So here's what I think. I think if Bayern can recover enough players against Barcelona, I can see a couple of wins. Do I think they're going to win both? To be fully honest, yeah. I, I honestly yeah, think that I Bayern will you. be able to, to win both. I think that won't be easy. I, I will definitely say it will not be easy. Yeah, and I have to ask this because I listened to the the preview podcast for the Leipzig game, and I thought you and Schnitzel did a, a really good job on that. But how weird was it for you to to have to say, "Well, Schnitzel, what do you like?" To me, I, whenever I think about this, and I haven't done a, a show with Schnitzel or I need no name yet, but I think about us having to like throw it over to them, and I start to laugh because it sounds so absurd to refer to someone as Schnitzel or I need no name. I guess it's no different than. Chuck, I mean, that's a stupid name too, but uh, <laughs> did you Jefferson did it make you, is up there? Yeah. Yeah. Did, did it make you chuckle a little bit when you had to do that? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but I mean, <laughs> it can't be any different than what Mike Francesa did with uh, Chris Russo for like two <laughs> decades, three decades, maybe. Yeah. Well, that's when Francesa was awake. We all know, you know, he has a tendency to fall asleep on the air if he's if he's not slamming those diet cokes. You're talking talking to the man that has the New York Mets in his back pocket. (laughs) Oh, Jake, it's it's been too long since we did this. Uh, I appreciate you jumping on, but I think that'll wrap us up here. Uh, before we go, you you watching anything? Anything peaking your interest, streaming or on TV or anything? I'm in kind of a dead zone of not being really interested in anything. Any, like, anything like television, television? Yeah, yeah, anything. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest. I was watching uh, the latest season and I was very behind. I was very behind on the latest season of British Love Island, but I kind of lost track and lost interest in it. So right now I'm in the mood to at least try and find something new to stream. I'm probably going to go the Disney plus route. I saw the first, I want to say two or three episodes of the Mandalorian and then didn't finish it. I haven't seen any of WandaVision. So those are probably going to be my first two stops. Cool. Cool. The, the Mandalorian is very good. I, I would highly recommend it, but uh, that's about as far as I've delved into Disney plus I'm struggling to find something to pique my interest right now. So I'll let you know if I, if I find anything and send a referral your way. But that'll wrap us up. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can get Jake at Jake. What is your Twitter handle these days? Uh, still Jefferson, the same. Still the same. At, at Jefferson, Jefferson Fenner. Fenner. I wasn't sure if you you uh, jazzed it up a little bit. I'm still at the Barrel Blog. So give us a follow. Hit us with some comments. Uh, we love interacting with you guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, thanks again. Just for hanging with us. And I, you know, I promise I'll be having Jake and maybe some other members of BFW on 
as we work through this. And uh, just want to say have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the Leipzig game. Enjoy the Barcelona game. And we will see you next time.